welcome to episode two of Find Things Well, a podcast celebrating the series Our Flag Means Death in all of its magnificent fuckery. I'm Abigail. And I'm Elena. And today we're going to be discussing Our Flag Means Death, episode two, A Damned Man. Today we'll be kicking things off with What's on Deck the part of the show where we share the latest news about the series, as well as open the floor to any messages, questions, or shout-outs from our listeners. So while we do not have any season two renewal news yet, because HBO hates us, uh, we did get the <laughs> loveliest note on our first episode's post on Tumblr from the awesome user Iggy Hands, who had the sweetest things to say. I don't know if you want to say anything, Abigail, but I know that their message made my whole heart explode and was just so lovely. Yeah, so same. Really, really grateful for the feedback and just that you enjoyed the show. And yeah, it's great to like be able to connect with other people who are also loving this series. And are as enthusiastic about it as we are. Um, yes. So we won't, aren't going to read the whole note on here, but we just did want you to know that we did read it all. And especially the bit about the drinking game practice <laughs> up. Uh, Iggy proposed a drinking game to our podcast in, in which you do a shot every time I say a character name for the first time. And <laughs> Abigail goes, I love say that character. <laughs> uh, look, I'm not saying I have a vocal tick or that I love every character in the show, but I am saying that I love every character in the show a lot. Big same, honestly. (laughs) That message completely made our day. Yeah, thank you again. You absolutely made our day and week with your message. One of the points from your message we did want to mention, we're actually going to save till the end of the episode in our Tie Things Up segment, since Iggy Hands made a really great comparison to another fandom that we think will be fun to talk about. So stick around for that chat at the end. Now it's time for Things of Note, where we dive into our main discussion of episode two. So for starters, we're going to take a look at our description for the episode from HBO Max and rate it on a five-star scale. Abigail, would you like to share this week's description? Yes. This episode, episode two, a damned man. The description is Steed battles feelings of guilt while hunting for missing hostages. Lucius makes a surprising discovery. On a scale from one to five, how many stars would you give this summary? I'm giving it a three this week because it was a little bit better than the one last week, which was just (laughs) bland. It was just very flavorless, very boring last week. This one is, is pretty boilerplate, but I feel like it the fact that it mentions the surprising discovery which is just one of my favorite moments of the episode um and I think it does a good job of the way that it references seed and says that he's battling feelings of guilt while hunting for missing hostages I want to get into that deeper as we go but just seed battling his feelings of guilt this episode was a a big point for me that really hit home that I enjoyed. So I'll give it a three. Yeah. And we'll talk way more about those feelings of guilt and how they're portrayed in the episode because it's it's done really, really well. But I agree that this episode description is a lot better. It's a lot more specific. It's not yeah. just sort of generic. It gives us some details about the plot while not giving away everything. I do find it hilarious, as you also did, that the surprising discovery makes the description. Yeah. <laughs> when there's so many other shenanigans that are happening in this episode, uh, I but I do find that really amusing. Like um, we could have obviously used this space to talk about the fact that Buttons goes ahead and lists like every sea creature ever, but no. Instead, or or we that we end up, or like something that hints us to what happens near the end of the episode, but they don't, I mean, obviously they wouldn't want to give it away, but there's no real hint of it even in this episode. There's so much going on in this episode. Like I kind of He's- forgot how many 
how many elements of the show that are going to be important get introduced in this episode. But it is really delightful setup. It doesn't feel like setup. And I think that the writers and the producers and the directors and everyone involved in the show is really good at making really good use of their space. This is a half an hour show that doesn't feel like it wastes any space, but also feels like it manages to pack in often what like a 45 minute episode in another show would do. I was going to say that because it honestly, when I watch this, I forget that it's only 30 minutes because it feels like a, it feels like an hour long drama kind of thing, Yeah, but it's, it's not, it's so quick. And that was, that was how I managed to binge the whole episode in like one day because it just, it was so short and I was like wait a minute what do you mean there's not more (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is definitely uh very bingeable for that and other reasons but yeah in terms of the description I I'm gonna give it like a 3.5 yeah for the second week in a row you're more generous than I am (laughs) yeah I mean that may be a theme with me in general I blame it on the fact that you're a teacher because I feel like you're trying to be supportive (laughs) of the description that's um probably not wrong yeah, so those are our ratings for this week. So now the, the all-important question, who is your MVP, your most valuable pirate for episode two? Like one of probably my top three favorites of the show, especially at this point, and go with Olande again. Yay. Mostly just highly entertaining, highly supportive, highly adaptable, gets them out of it, like very subtly gets their asses out of this pickle they've gotten themselves into not even subtly like his his work is subtle he's not subtle his work is subtle though like we don't see on i mostly mean like on screen we don't see what he does that's fair to negotiate but he clearly does and he gets a great coconut rum drink out of it as well so you know i just really like Hey, there we go. Drink game. I really love Luande. <laughs> there you go. There's your first shot of the episode, everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's no, I absolutely adore him as well. Um, I had a really hard time when I was trying yeah. to decide mine for this week, but I, I ended up going with Steed and it was solely because of one line. And then the more that I thought about it, I was like, wait, I have like 80 different reasons for Steed to be my favorite this week. But it was, it started with his moment towards the end where he just goes, I am adequate. (laughs) And he's just like, honestly, I, I had to bring that up because just the way that this show deals with seed specifically because it it gets into other characters and dealing with their trauma as well but the care it takes with steed's trauma of kind of growing up and even through his adulthood having to repress who he is Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful commentary and i feel like the way that they make this mental health commentary with him specifically is just so healthy and like gentle and yes. the line that the the one of the elders from the community that they encounter on the island says to him, he's just like, everything is coming from you. And I just thought that was such a wonderfully nuanced line to bring up. And mm-hmm. I know that like for me as a person that has like struggled with lots of various mental health things, that's something that I forget all the time that like a lot of my struggles are coming from things that I'm thinking about myself and not necessarily things that people still in my life are saying to me. And so to have like this character who is a much older person say that to a person who's middle-aged was just Mm -hmm. really comforting. (laughs) Just, yeah, I, I love to the way that it progresses throughout the episode and how you've got that like visual metaphor of him. Yes. Moving 
the the you know vision of badminton like on the island like oh sailing away nope can't hear you like yeah that was just really beautifully done I I wanted to talk about that as well but I think that it's a really lovely depiction of both like the debilitating nature of trauma and traumatic memories because they do that really well of like he's really he's really disrupted he's really dysregulated emotionally by these flashbacks that he can't control and that's shown really realistically and we get to see inside of his mind but at the same time they don't it's not trauma porn they don't leave him there they don't give a narrative where it can never get better Exactly. Give a narrative where it can get better and it does. And he's able to, yeah, like you said, they're they're able to give us that visual of him going, I'm not going to carry this anymore in the same way. Something has, has shifted and not that he's not always going to carry those memories, but something has shifted in the way that his brain is processing them. And there's some, something really lovely in that, especially with a middle-aged character. Exactly. That it, there's there's a lot of things with that with the fact that Steve is middle aged and how his narrative is handled in general that we're going to talk about like through the whole series. But I, yeah. Well, but to tie it back to something you had said last week or on the last episode rather, uh, you were saying that the narrative is kind to these people, and I feel like we just saw even more of that with this episode. Like that's something that we're going to continue to see as the show progresses. There is a lot of care on the part of the writers in terms of how they address the different traumatic things that these characters have all been through. And I think that it's just really, really well done. And I'm, I'm so excited to like talk more about that as we go on, but just, yeah, for, for that reason in particular, Steed, he, he was my MVP this week. Um, Cause he did, he did a lot of his, his shadow work and he made it through and I'm proud of him. <laughs> um, and I love the way that, his like last line of the episode kind of ties us in for next week, the gentleman yes. pirate that kind of gives us like yes. one of the most iconic things about the show is, is that this is about Steed and his pursuit of being the gentleman pirate. And so I love that we kind of get that sneak peek into that for next week. Yeah. And that's a really good like connection to Steed is taking ownership of his own like identity and he's, he's making his own way, even like both in terms of his trauma and in terms of his like past and his future. Like he's, he's going, oh, I figured out what it is that I want. Exactly. I want, I don't want to just be a gentleman and I don't want to just be a pirate. I want to be both. Yeah. I want to contain multitudes. It's about the ampersand kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Steve's saying both and it's very wholesome. But it's also really nice too on the part of the writers, how they how they sort of build it. Like, and I just thought of it as you were saying how at the end of the episode, he's kind of like leaving, he's sort of leaving behind what Badminton thinks of him behind. But when you think about it in the first episode, he has that whole moment on the deck where he's like, you know, my family's at sea now. So it's kind of this beautiful build from like episode to episode of the different parts of his past that he's leaving behind, Mm. which, and I'm curious to see as we, as these discussions progress, like how that's going to continue to manifest in the next episodes, like looking at it specifically through that, because I don't want to give away any spoilers for any listeners who haven't, you know, seen the next episode, but for episode three, it, it, ends. I think it ends on a similar note to like, this whole building of the things that Steed is leaving behind. So it's just, 
the writing on this show continues to astound me in how yeah. just really well done it is. I can't remember the last time I, I had a show that I like got into and then rewatched immediately as many times as I have with this one. You, what you said made me think of something else and like, and we're going to talk about this in future episodes, but in so many ways, this is a coming of age story with a middle-aged character. And we don't get that. Like, like, I think it's, I think one of the things that I find, and it's a coming of age queer narrative about an older character. And I, I don't know about you, but like, I, I, I was someone who, knew I was queer as a teenager, um, but was very deeply closeted and didn't get to have the experiences of safely coming out or like exploring that part of my identity in any real tangible ways as a young person. And so like queer, young, queer stories about young queer characters, I love, but they're also a little heartbreaking because I'm like, they are a narrative, they're they're an experience that like I they're an experience I've, that I didn't have. I felt that watching Heartstopper because it's it, for anybody who hasn't seen that yet. It's a really great show, but I I, yeah. I resonated with that as well because I was like, man, I am never going to get to have these like these teenage moments of of coming yeah. into my my queerness because I didn't come out until my senior year of college as being bisexual, and then I didn't really start figuring out that I was not cisgender until like the last maybe two or three years that's been a very recent development that I'm like wait there are words to explain this way that I've felt my entire life that's kind of awesome yeah very similar very similarly for me I was out to like people I was close to in my late teens early 20s but only very small handful of people until really about a year ago and I'm in my late 20s. And I think what I love about this show is that it is able to like have that sort of, for lack of a better term, some of that coming of age time, some of that stuff about like reinventing yourself, about reevaluating who you are and what you want, and then taking the big, massive, terrifying steps to go after like a new part of yourself or an old part of yourself that's like been dormant and that you haven't been able to explore. Mm-hmm. And we just don't get a lot of shows with queer characters that get to do that. And I think that's one of the things that's really lovely about this one is yeah. it can have those same emotional beats as a coming of age story, but also it's more complicated because Steed has like backstory from living like, all of these years of his life that like a teenage coming of age story just like doesn't have as much of. Yeah, I mean, he's literally left behind a wife and two children who are like both, yeah. he's left Complicated. an entire existence behind to pursue yeah. this. And I I love the point that you're making because just, I don't think that we get, like there's this assumption that once you become an adult that like you're done, like, you know, oh, well you're an adult. So there's no excuse you can make for anything that you do if you aren't as maybe developmentally far along as other people around you, yeah. whether that's emotional or physical or any of those things. And this yeah. show gives a chance for people to see that like you can be at the middle of your life and just starting to figure things out and that's okay. And yeah. I loved that about it. That's such a great point that you brought yeah. up. You can make a big change that shifts your whole life because you finally figured out things about yourself. And that's not to say it won't be messy. Like it is with Steed. Like it's not complicated. And I don't want to say, I and I find it challenging with Steed, particularly because he does leave behind a family. He leaves behind children. And that is not simple or not messy. And that is not fair to those children. No. 
at the same time, I have so much sympathy for Steed as he's trying to figure this out. Like it's not, there's not one narrative box you can put any of these characters in or any of the other characters too. Like when we find out some backstory on some other characters as well and the decisions they've made, everyone's more complicated. And I think like that tension gives some like really relatable weight to that you know obviously it's a show about gay fictional pirates but it feels (laughs) feels deeply resonant (laughs) I mean look I (laughs) sometimes I'll watch a show set in normal McNormal town about normal (laughs) people doing normal things and I'll find it relatable but am I more likely to deeply relate and be like, no, what this is saying about growing up is way more relatable on a show about, you know, gay pirates or gay monster hunters or gay time travelers. Listen, like <laughs> that's <laughs> they can be anywhere in the science fiction realm as long as they're gay. <laughs> that's, that's the requirement. <laughs> Already more relatable than like 99% yeah. of set in the real world stories. Yeah, I think other other than Heartstopper, which, you know, is just a cutesy, like, you know, teen rom-com, I think the last thing that I watched that was, like, just played entirely straight, like, this is a drama, there is nothing mythical happening here, was Mayor of Easttown, and the only reason I watched that is because it was Kate Winslet in Philadelphia. Like, that was it. That's what it took for me to watch a show that was, like, <laughs> set in the real world. The only thing I watch consistently set in the real world is world is like sitcoms and sitcom worlds oh, are also well, not yeah. a whole lot like the real world in actuality. Yeah, because I guess Abbott Elementary different. falls into that too, but yeah. also but like technically it's the real world, but like that's but sort of the, the only it's, kind it's of it's like a <laughs> mythical version of Philadelphia's public schools. <laughs> There is no, I, yeah, look, yeah. there are things about Alabama. I mean, obviously I don't know Philadelphia public schools, but like Avid element, anyway, this is t- going to be a tangent you can cut, but like, it's no, so funny. No, probably not. Honestly, when, this is great content. What are you Whenever kidding? elementary schools, as an elementary school educator, whatever elementary schools are featured in TV, I just find it so funny because it's usually so wildly not accurate to like what and then every once in a while like Abbott Elementary is closer like there are some things that happen and I like am an educator on the opposite side of the country on the opposite side of the continent in a different country yeah (laughs) in a very different school setting but there were still some scenes in Abbott Elementary where I was like what that kid just I was like what that teacher is dealing with I've been that teacher I've been in that situation that's what I would have done or I've been like "Mm, I've seen a teacher do that or I'll see a kid and be like, mm, yes, that is what a child would do in that well, scenario. The whole big, flo- the whole like desk jumping thing. I was like, yeah, that's definitely something that would happen and catch on and become a real problem. And they would definitely expect the teachers to move 300 desks. They would. <laughs> I love anyway. that. Uh, no, yeah. I was going to say that's actually a perfect segue because one of the things you wanted to talk about was speed. <laughs> And how how much kindergarten energy or kindergarten teacher energy this man has. Look, my my thesis for this episode is that Steed has elementary school teacher vibes, specifically kindergarten teacher vibes. And I'm specifically thinking about the scene once they run aground and Steed's like, well, we've run aground. Yes, <laughs> we, it's a day off. And then immediately the crew become 
like feral children that are like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We might kill each other. We might kill ourselves. Um, The way that we, John, is like, what's a hobby is still the funniest thing. Like he just, and then he has that line, we're unwinding. (laughs) Well, okay, yes. Okay, so like, (laughs) you were with children. When, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be supervising a group of children when they're doing free play. And this will just be kind of roaming around, just making sure everyone's safe. And there'll be like two kids that have decided to like turn some toy into something approximating a weapon. <laughs> and they're like hucking, or they're like, they've just decided to like throw toys at each other. And yeah. you're like, does this feel, and I'll be like, I'll go over and my think- strategy is always like, let me present a question to you. I'll be like, do you think, what do you think is going to happen if like, you get hit like if someone if you hit someone with that and they're like I don't know you're like well <laughs> or they're or you're like this game seems like like not a good game and they'll be like it's fun <laughs> and they'll be like I'll be like are you are you playing or are you fighting they're like we're playing and I'm like it's like that's going to turn into fighting <laughs> when he says to maybe we could leave the gunpowder alone today oh, the, the, the amount of time he uses questions and where he just goes you know I'm gonna gently suggest maybe we leave the gunpowder alone and then the, when he like clarifies when they're like how much torture is okay and he's like no torture no torture <laughs> like you gotta be you gotta be clear with kindergartners and with pirates you gotta be clear these are the expectations you gotta follow through and then Black Pete just comes in with his whole, but we could bake them a pie. Is that what Black Pete would do? No! <laughs> and he just gets so mad. They're like indignant children who the don't inti- know yeah. what they're doing. And Steve just, ha- Steve just handles them with the patience of a kindergarten teacher, the yeah. gentle questioning of a kindergarten teacher. And he's trying, God damn it. He is trying. And also he, the way that chaos, he's- He is not fixing anything, but he is trying. The way that he's also trying with like buttons to get him to be like, we we don't need to eat people. I promise you, we don't need to eat each other. We have food for weeks. <laughs> Slow way that he unravels that. <sighs> we can't eat people even a little bit. Like, no, <laughs> we don't have time for even that. We don't have time. <laughs> it was it's so good. Yeah, that that whole sequence with them on the beach just my favorite. I I'm in stitches every time I rewatch that. And it's coming right after the like one shot that looks like a family photo shoot. Like there's that one <laughs> shot of them all on the beach where it looks like they've been posed by a photographer to like take the weirdest class photo or family yeah. photo or staff photo. <laughs> And like most of them don't look like look like they don't want to be there or they're gonna maybe murder each other. Oh tag yourselves and we John. Um. yeah, honestly, that'd be a good like tag yourself post. Like, who are you in the family photo? Yes. What is what is your go-to family photo pose? I love it. Listeners, tweet at us, message us. What is your go-to family, awkward family photo pose? We wanna know share it with us please it's vitally important that we get this information elena what's your go-to family photo pose or like oh photo i, I don't to... group group photo i don't want to be in pose. i i have well, i do this whether i want to be in it or not it's just my <laughs> default i i i'm the person giving a peace sign That's always <laughs> you, are the, you are the stereotype <laughs> that's <Yeah>. amazing <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm I'm either I'm either doing the peace sign or I'm doing the bisexual finger guns. There's oh. no in between. See, yeah, the bisexual finger guns are definitely one of my go-tos. It's true. I need movement in my pose, otherwise I feel like I'm a stiff little like penguin. Or I'm the the person with the book. I'm I'm oh uh, yes. I'm Lucius just standing there being like well, actually, I'm if sorry, we're, getting... we're taking a picture, I'm sorry, we're taking a picture right now. I was reading. Actually, you want to know the real truth. The real truth is that I'm not posing. I'm taking the picture. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I usually am. You're the wrangle. You're wrangling everyone into the picture. Yeah. I love this is an entirely unrelated note, but the fact that we both had in our notes, uh, Black Pete's line, it has to be a really bad kid. He's not a bloody monster. <laughs> so indignant about it. Yeah, like like, it has to be. He's like, he doesn't kill kids. Well, unless it's a really bad kid. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Black Pete was real close to being my MVP, not because he actually did anything helpful, but just because he amused me so much this episode. Um, Black Pete is every line out of his mouth. It it shouldn't. It's I shouldn't find it as funny as I do, but I really do. Yeah, his delivery, his delivery is also just impeccable. And the way that he's just so insistent that he was on Blackbeard's crew, like, I really, I can't wait till we get into deeper episodes and can talk about that more. It's fascinating because, like, again, like we talked about with Steed, like this whole show is so much about like who you are and who you want to be, and like mm-hmm. the tension between those things. And like, even with Black Pete, like it's presented humorously. But there's this tension between he wants to be seen as this big, tough pirate, but he's also kind of seen as a little bit of a joke. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, the way he's handling that is by like, he's like, no, I'm going to prove that I'm a big, tough pirate by like getting into every conversation and being like, this is what Blackbeard would do. And, you know, he's trying to assert who he thinks he is and who he like wants to be. (laughs) Well, because doesn't he also say at one point, he's like, don't ask what Blackbeard would do. You're not up for it. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, he he needs to be not special, but he's like, I need to be. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. He's really funny. He's great. There is one one point I really wanted to make about him though, that I I came across this as this was a post on Twitter and I actually looked it up and got the the person who it was. So it was at Mortis Rictus on Twitter had this post where they said, something that really makes me feel all stupid happy about our flag means death is that Black Pete never gets made fun of for his speech impediment. It is just a thing that he has. It's there. It's a part of him and everyone around him just accepts it. I really wanted to bring that up because I know last mm-hmm. week we were talking about how, you know, there was a lot of really positive queer representation in this show. And, you know, we've got all these wonderful, like this is a second episode in a row where somebody is like calling out racism very blatantly mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. The whole premise and- of parts of this episode is to poke at the way that TV often presents a marginalized community. Exactly. But that was just something that really struck me as well that I just loved about Black Pete. Like it never, at no point does anybody in the show, like this is, I'm not even saying this is like spoilery, like nobody at any point in these 10 episodes makes fun of him for the way that he talks. And I think that that's really important. Cause like, it's not necessary to the plot. It's not necessary to his development. It's not necessary to anything. All it would be, would be drawing attention to something for the point of like, further marginalizing that character and by extension making anyone watching Mm -hmm. feel also like they're being called out or like made fun of and I think it's really nice that they just 
don't. He gets to just be. And like when they laugh at him, they laugh at him because he's saying stupid shit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because he's lying through his teeth about his experiences or he like is exaggerating his experiences to make himself seem tough. Like that's why they make fun of him because they're like, yeah, right. You've killed people. That seems accurate. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's another realization of how low the bar is for for so much- for so much media like the fact that i'm i'm blown away by the fact that there's a character with a speech difficulty and they don't make a joke about it like that's that's where the bar is like come on i just think yeah. it's so so well done and he's just that that element of his character i think is something really beautiful and i wanted to call attention to that tweet that i had seen i will i will share that on our our social pages so that y'all can can find it easily but I just thought it was a really good like mm-hmm. moment to mention I'm glad I'm glad you did because I hadn't consciously picked that up I think because the show doesn't make a big deal about it like exactly. so I didn't need to consciously pick up on they weren't drawing attention and I think this is like it speaks to a bigger point in representation of like what we want with representation and this goes for like all sorts like regardless of what you're representing, it's not unrealistic to to not have your other characters be terrible all the time to marginalize yeah. people. Like even though like so much of reality is that like marginalized people experience those microaggressions constantly. As much as that's true, it's not necessary. Like a show can be good representation and accurate representation and realistic representation in the way that it chooses to address those things or not address them and the ways that you lets it just like lets people exist yeah that show is way less coherent than i wanted it to be but no it not at all it it, the show really does a great job of making its characters full people Mm -hmm. and having them be marginalized in a number of different ways and it's not it's not a joke. It's not a point of contention. Like they're just, they, they are allowed to exist. The way we often end up swinging is that we like go, oh, this marginalized character, we've put them in this story. So we're going to focus on the fact that they're marginalized. We're going to focus on the fact that they're different than the majority. And like, great, you have a queer character, but the whole narrative is about how hard it is to be queer in a homophobic society. Sure, but after a while, I'm like, I can I just see a queer character that's just like having a shitty job and like that has nothing to do with their sexuality or their gender, but just is like a shitty job. You know, like we want to see that. And I think that's the thing. We like all these characters are just dealing with their lives as shitty pirates. Yeah. The only one of them that really we could say was living a charmed life is Steed. And he left that behind because he's kind of an interesting commentary on you can have it all, you know, using hand quotes and not be satisfied with your life because you're not being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that he, that's what makes him such an interesting juxtaposition to all of these pirate characters is, you know, he was somebody that like, they, they would love any of these characters would love to have the comforts of life that he had, but he gave that up because that wasn't who he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't trying to buy into this. And I thought it was also interesting how there's the, the moment where he's like, we're not colonizers, they are. I was like, just blatantly pointed to the British officers and was like, they are. Yeah, like, which is great. I mean, it's not as simple as that. It's not at all. <laughs> you are a pirate. That's, that doesn't 
you don't yeah, get excused. Just, you don't get excused from. Yeah, like, it's like you're a rich white landowner living like, in Barbados. Like we clearly know where your money's coming from. Yeah, like <laughs> the fact that you were able to like go off and be a pirate is a function of your white privilege. Um, Amen. Maybe we should lead. Maybe that leads us into talking about that whole part of the episode. Yeah, I like where how they placed Oluwande in that scenario. Like mm-hmm. the role they gave him. Exactly was really well done and again I think that's why I chose him as my MVP this episode because I think yeah the fact that they don't hand wave you make all this stuff go away like they actually call it out and address it and yes it's a comedy show so they're not like really going into like hard-hitting realities of racism but they are calling it what it is they're saying they're they're saying racism they're saying colonizers Mm -hmm. they're talking about like the harms done even if it's in just these small comments yeah, and they're also making fun of the way that they're making fun of media as a whole and yes. how media typically portrays indigenous people. Like mm-hmm. the the way that they have that that shot where it's just like, you know, oh, what have you done with our hostages? And he points over there and they're like, oh my God, you've like, you've cooked them and ate them. And then he's like, no, they're in the thing like, next to that. Like that's that's a trope that you see all the time mm-hmm. it's like oh these indigenous people are savages who are going to like you know eat you and for them yeah. to just just poke a hole in that and say this is not what we're doing but this yeah. is what everybody else does and we're going to wink at the audience to let you know yeah. that we're not doing that was yes. really nicely done and we're going to sort of embarrass our white characters our white heroic yeah. characters mm-hmm. because we're going to basically make sure that you know that they're not exempt from this sort of like casual racism yeah i say casual in the sense that like they say it in an offhand way not casual in the sense that it's not serious but like the fact yeah. that that's where they go the fact that that's where their brains go is called out and yeah i think it's interesting it's very meta like the writing of this those scenes yeah that is a good way to describe it. Well, and that's something that's been interesting that David Jenkins, the showrunner, and Taika Watiti have both like made a very <laughs> serious point of being like, we did not do our research for this. Like, That's not the <laughs> fucking point. Yeah, the point of this <laughs> is not because the real Steed Bonnet was, you know, a freaking slave owner back in the day. Like, yeah, they're not trying terrible. to- Yeah, like- and Blackbeard was not a nice, fun guy who wears adorable crop tops. Like it just, it no. wasn't, none of this was real. He wasn't having a gay awakening. He was murdering people. <laughs> yeah. There's a suspension of disbelief. And it's something that I've seen said about the show. That's probably one of the reasons I like it. The show almost plays like a, like a theater production. And I think that it leans into those elements of camp really nicely while still feeling like something that is loosely grounded in reality and it's kind of goes back to as well what you were talking about on the last episode of things did not go as planned <laughs> no <laughs> that and continues the, like, to be true for this episode this whole episode is them just being like we don't like from the get-go again beach themselves <laughs> because they're not good pirates and then Steve tried to push the boat into the ocean by himself. Like, sweetheart, okay. what did I, you think was going to happen? Okay. I like, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. What did you think was going to happen? But also, you know, I, um, I will admit if I was in Steve's shoes and I like had done that, I would a hundred percent knowing it was not going to work. 
have gone up and tried to push the boat. Like a hundred percent. That's something I would do. Um, a hundred percent knowing it's not going to work. So, Respect. <laughs> I, you know, intelligence of a traffic cone sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> that's a tag. I saw that's like a line from a fanfic that I read where they were like, something with the emotional equivalent, emotional intelligence of a traffic cone. So we, we would be remiss if we did not talk about our boy Lucius in this episode, because he has some of the single greatest lines, I think, <laughs> in television <laughs> history. <laughs> Abigail, is, I know you were really excited about this one, so I'm going to let you take this. I'm incredible at keeping secrets. My mom thought I liked girls for years line. Every time, I, every time just gets me. The very like, first time I watched this, I screamed. I, oh, I, I like, screamed, laughed. I, it's funny, because, like, I was watching it in a room full of people, and, like, not all of them are queer it's a mix oh goodness and and I definitely like had the biggest loudest reaction to that line because I was like that is fucking hilarious uh-huh. if you've been if and it's it's in a very specific way if you've been a closeted queer person you're like oh yeah <laughs> my mom thought I like girls for years but the people thought I was a girl for years you know it's fine <laughs> the poetry snaps to that Everything he says, he just sort of says, and he like just like flows with things. Like I've He's... met Lucius. Like I have Lucius friends in my life, mm-hmm. and that's it's what a makes very... it so fun. It's a very specific kind of person who's like, I don't really care. I'm fine. I'm just like doing my. I'm just like vibing with my life, and like actually does care really deeply, and is actually a super intense person. Yeah. But like puts off this air of like I'm not even paying attention. I'm just over here reading my book. Um, mm-hmm. but actually I'm writing down all this shit that I'm thinking in my little, <laughs> as I make my notes and, you know, yeah, just the beard line. I, I think it's, I think it's the smartest written line I've probably heard in a really long time. It's just, it's so layered. <laughs> I think also like it brings up the fact that this show, it does such a good job with like the variety of ways that it tells you that his characters are queer. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't, it's, and it doesn't, and like it manages to, you know, like I am so used to watching stuff where there's like one queer person and like, A, it's usually really obvious before they even open their fucking mouth. Yep. Because of everything that they're doing. And, you know, a lot of that being stereotyping. But it also like feels like there's a really limited amount of ways that queer characters get to be like revealed as queer. Uh-huh. And everybody's um, is different on this show. Every single yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, there's ones that we know, find out through what they do. There's ones that we find out through offhand comments like this. There's ones that we find out because they distinctly tell us. Like, yeah. it's so refreshing. Like the yeah. multitude of ways you can, re- like that that can come out in a narrative. I hard agree with you there. It's good which, writing. It's good writing. Which brings us to our, our fave. Yeah. <laughs> it brings us to good old Jim. Yeah. So, I can't we haven't talked about Jim yet in this episode. Yeah. So speaking of Jim, <laughs> I, I just had to bring up that there was somebody I saw who, again, I'll link this in our you know show notes and description. <laughs> somebody had a tweet where it was uh, the no context our flag means death account, which is great. If you're not following that account, you should, because it's really funny and has lots of just delightful screenshots, but uh, somebody with the username at himbo lover, which first of all, <laughs> fantastic username, uh, had a post where they shared the picture of Jim leaving the beard and the nose and the, you know, the outfit all on the rock. And their comment was, 
the one to find this had to be Lucius because everyone else would have been like, guys, Jim turned into a rock. <laughs> and I just think that's the they're funniest. Smart pirates. <laughs> no, they're they're beautiful, wholesome, weird pirates, but they're yeah. not very smart, most of them. <laughs> Lucius is the only one of the crew with the brain cells to put that information together and actually figure out the truth, which is also why Jim reacts the way they do because entirely anyone else, Jim would have been able to just be like, give some dumb story that they would have bought immediately Uh with Lucius. They're like, Oh no. They're like, yeah, (laughs) they're on to me. But the other thing, too, that we realize, because we see Jim uh, writing in their journal in this episode, which is, first of all, the whole sequence is just really hilarious. It's, like, very tropey. It's, like, a very tropey. Oh, yeah. It's, like, like very visually, telenovela. Yeah, like, yeah, telenovela. I was, like, this visually feels like a different show Yeah, for like, that scene. But the other thing I noticed was that because Jim is doing that, Jim can also read and write. Which in the yes. first episode, we yes. think it's only Lucius who can do that. And because, you know, Jim is like, you know, trying to hide and trying to pretend like they're a mute, you know, they haven't let anybody else know that. And so also, I, just, I think enjoyed not have like, if they can, if they, if, if everyone found out they could read and write, they'd have to communicate. And they yeah. are like quite happy not communicating. <laughs> and that being said, hearing Jim's voice for the first time, like, I don't know why, but it's just. <laughs> it was- the face does not match the voice when when wearing the beard and the nose and the hat and just everything. <laughs> so I was just yep. so delighted to hear Vico Ortiz's voice for the first time. Their voice is so nice, but yes, it was, I was, it's very funny. It's a nice, like, seeing that moment of the two of them talking, like, you know, at the, at the bottom of the ship before Steed has to walk off and you know, stop we John and the Swede from beating each other up. Um, but it's just, it's a really nice moment that they get to share. Yeah, it's really lovely. <laughs> I also just like their relationship is so, it's just so sweet. I can't I wait to it. dive into their relationship. I more. just love it. I love how head over heels Olu is so obviously. He's like pretty much just like hard eyes. He's just hard eyes at Jim, like at all times. <laughs> That is the best description I think I've heard of Olu yet. It's just, I love it. And just the way that he says, I've got someone on the ship at the end. Like, yeah. I I wasn't ready for that bit. Although I do love the little fist bump. Yeah, it was cute. (laughs) That's a great moment. Of all the characters in this this story, I think Olu is the one that I'm like, I would, you know. I could be friends with one of them like yeah <laughs> it's Olu I want to be friends with Olu like Olu and his crops good egg. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so just very, he's also just like really does exemplify the like holy kind nature of this show yeah um he's got he's in a lot of ways he's like he's like the heart of the the crew in a lot of like just his his oh, way no. of being his way of moving around the other crew members and like his way of interacting with everyone is just has this like gentle and kindness to it while still being 
self-assured and confident in who he is. So what you just said about Olu made me realize something that I am actually going to change my answer on for our tie things up segment. Uh, (laughs) So since we've now wrapped up our main discussion, it is time for tying things up. And this is the part of the show where we use the noted Tumblr format of same character, different font to relate our favorite flag means death characters to ones from other beloved pieces of media. And who I realized in, in your thing you were just saying about Olu, Olu is Jim from the office. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's like kind of That's the one true. he's kind of the sane one who realizes everyone else around him is a little nuts, but he loves them anyway. He's the, like looking into the camera. Uh huh. I'm aware I'm in a story. Yeah. Character. He's very much got Jim energy, which is funny because he's in love with a Jim. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I just, that was not a, a comparison I was going to make until you were saying that. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's totally Jim. I feel like he's doing the narrative equivalent of looking at the camera being like, well, (laughs) he is doing the narrative equivalent of that. He's like a little bit less sharp than Jim is. That's the only difference. I was just so that's, I've decided to change (laughs) my, my tying things up person to Olu because he's totally giving Jim (laughs) from the office. But yours is very similar um, in terms of, uh, being from a, a franchise that's made by Greg Daniels. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So mine today is going to be Leslie Note from Parks and Recreation. Um, for the comparison to Steed, particularly yes. in the Steed as an elementary school teacher scene, um, with all of the the crew on the on the beach compared with um, there's an episode of Parks and Rec. It's in season three, and it's uh where they go on a camping trip. And they, and Leslie's dragged them all on this camping trip and they need to come up with a plan for like, what's the next project the parks department is going to do. And they're all sitting around the fire and they're all just like, Leslie, can't you do it? You're better at this. <laughs> we'll just like, we don't want to. And she's like, I'm going to make you, she's like, this is what we've got to do. She's like, we're not going to leave. And then like, there's a point where she bangs on a like tree and is like, I'm going to keep you awake. Like, I won't let you go to sleep. You're going to do the thing. <laughs> it just has like big, you know, like children grumbling at their like <laughs> over-enthusiastic parent slash teacher, which is the energy Steed has in this episode. And it's the energy Leslie has. It's and the energy Steed has all the time. <laughs> and also the energy Leslie has all the time. Both of those characters are characters with like super big hearts and super driven personalities and super. They they sort of bumble their way to success. Like, yeah. and I, I appreciate that as a person who usually has no clue what I'm doing, but is trying my best. Yeah, because they're just like really genuine characters. They're not like. Well, I mean, Leslie can be a little bit of a steamroller. Uh, I think Anne compares her to a steamroller, but it's not out of well, a, like, I intend, I, it's not like I want to be in control of everyone and everything. It's a like, I'm so excited about these things that I want to do and these things I'm so passionate about that sometimes I like get it. I just like do it a little bit overboard. <laughs> but like in the most genuine way. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, the way in which Leslie is so excited about working for the parks department is how excited steed is about being a pirate yes exactly this is his lifelong dream like you see in you know this isn't really like a spoiler so much but there's a moment in i think episode four where you see some flashback stuff of steed with his kids and he was always playing pirates with them and 
that yeah. to me is like this really beautiful little moment because this is something that like he truly cares about you can tell and yeah. and and Leslie is very much like that all the time she's oh, just yeah. so she throws her whole heart into everything and I think Steve does that too and Leslie's also a character who like is finally doing the thing she's always wanted to do her whole life since she was a little kid yeah and so because it's like all she's ever wanted just throws everything she has into it and bumbles her way through it and like Steed genuinely cares about his crew yeah he doesn't get everything right but he genuinely cares and they know he genuinely cares and that is that is the thing that's what makes him like such a that's what ultimately I think makes him a good captain yeah despite his flaws but before I realized that I was going to go with Jim from the office as my comparison, uh, the one I actually did want to make was not so much a character as a whole, but more so like a moment from the show that reminded me of another thing. Um, it was the scene where Steed is like, the plan, it's coming. Like, he's just trying to figure it out. You can tell <laughs> that this guy has no fucking clue what he's doing. And it very much reminded me of the doctor from Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> specifically Capaldi's doctor uh Ah. I don't I don't know why he just had that energy to me but of just this like I don't really know what I'm doing but I'm gonna figure it out because I have to and I think that's very much the doctor like I'm just gonna keep making decisions until the situation ends yeah that's kind of the the process (laughs) that both of them really go through I think Steve knows how this situation that situation with the hostages and Izzy is going to end. He's just like, I'm going to keep doing things and things are going to keep happening. And then they will stop happening. Yeah. And his, his tactic is hilarious <laughs> to see in action with, when he's like, you know, saying to Izzy, like, you know, that's my men. How, you know, he's like, that's just your men out there. And he's like, or is it, or is it like, he's just, it? like <laughs> it's just... it's simultaneously genius and very, very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just the way that he kind of manages to like low-key trick Izzy is just really yeah. beautiful because I like Izzy in this episode uh when this is all that we have of him he comes off as a very formidable pirate like he comes off as yeah. somebody who knows what he's doing he's got his you know cutthroat team of guys like he he comes off as somebody who really knows what he's doing versus yeah especially in contrast to steed having no clue what he's doing and so for him to get that upper hand is wild even just the like darkness that he brings into the scenes that he's in you know tonally like it's the first time we get that tonal a little bit of a tonal shift of like even most of the time the dialogue is really fast and the delivery of the dialogue is really fast Izzy speaks slowly. Yeah, Connor's more slowly. Crazy great voice. Yeah. And he just like leans into like the slow movements and the slow moments. But then totally schools him with a sword. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then which makes, yeah, which then makes like a scene where he moves really quickly, like very, he's very scary in this first episode. Yeah. And then obviously we get the big reveal at the end of like, whose whose ship he's coming from and that also you know that's gonna lead us into next episode that is a really good segue to this one point I wanted to make as we're you know sort of wrapping up about the ending like the last shot of episodes one and two the first 
episode, the last shot is panning up the mast and seeing all of the different flags that they make. Mm-hmm. And the last shot of episode two is panning up the mast and we ah. see Blackbeard's flag, which we know it's Blackbeard's flag because we see it at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. And so just that I had to give kudos to the writers for that one because I love when a, when a shot matches another shot yes and it's it's done intentionally and to have both of those first two episodes so it's like we've introduced you episode one we've introduced you to steed this is the character that you're going to be following Mm -hmm. and now at the end of the second episode we're introducing you to the character who is going to be most important to steed which is blackbeard and the fact that blackbeard doesn't significantly show up till episode four still blows my mind when I think about the show as a whole because like he's such a presence when he does arrive yeah and the fact that but it also speaks to the strength of the show because these first you know three episodes where he doesn't even appear are still so good like the cast and the storytelling and the dialogue like there's all these hints to Blackbeard yes for sure but the episodes are not primarily about Blackbeard there or no. about that. They're not, they're not spending, they're not heavy handed foreshadowing. They're foreshadowing, but they're not heavy handed about it. And yeah. I think that's like why it works. And even like to add on to your note about the flags, I think it's really interesting because the end of the first episode, we're seeing all of these flags and it's sort of this humorous celebratory thing. It's kind of going like, oh, this is the kind of crew that this is. So much so that like, all of their flags are here. Steve and then, is going to hang all of their flags on the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Steve is the elementary school teacher of it'll, pirate it'll, captains. It all comes back. <laughs> He's like, I have to display everyone's art. Everybody it doesn't matter. The quality really doesn't hard. matter. Yeah, everyone's art deserves a place in the classroom and on the pirate ship. <laughs> <laughs> So for our last point today, we wanted to bring it all back to where we started when we mentioned that awesome post that we got from Iggy Hands on Tumblr. They compared how we were talking last episode about wanting to have an episode of season two where we see how the crew was hired and like how Steed came to meet all of them. Uh, For those of you who have seen it, there is a show called Firefly. Um, Really great show. If you haven't seen it, make that Uh, your next watch. It's yeah, there's only one season. It's an oldie and a goodie. It's an oldie, it's a goodie, and you don't have to invest too much into it because there's only one season, but <laughs> then you're going to get season. so mad because <laughs> there's only one season. I was so, going to say, I was like, it's not a big time investment. No, but, but it will anger you for the rest of your life that there's only one season. You'll have so a lot you of big feelings. But they mentioned that that was really the idea of having an episode that shows us how we meet the crew would be really could be really similar to out of gas which is an episode from firefly where you see how um mal who is the captain of the ship serenity you see how he puts together his crew for that ship and one of my favorite episodes me too it's like i adore that episode it it might be my favorite episode but i haven't watched it in a while so i don't know if it still is but it's a very good one and it was a great comparison and so that just that comparison felt like a really good one to use as our last mm-hmm. one for tying mm-hmm. things up um so if you're like a listener who has a, a comparison that you would like us to include please tag us in it on any of our channels or wherever because we would absolutely love it um 
Iggy's message on Tumblr. I know we said it like four times already, but it just really made our our whole day and week. So yes, yes. <laughs> love to hear more from you all. That's all we have for this episode today. So thank you all for joining us. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting platform and leave us a rating or review. You can also send us a voicemail or drop drop us a line through our website, findthingswellshow.tumblr.com. If you want more of our queer pirate discourse in your life, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where we're at Find Things Show, and you can send us that voicemail through Anchor. Join us again next time as we discuss episode three, The Gentleman Pirate. I'm Elena. And I'm Abigail. And thanks for sailing along with us while we talk it through as as a a crew. crew.